Hello and welcome to Pod Rocket. Today I'm here with Colin Sadati, who's the founder and CEO of Quirk. How are you, Colin? Doing great. How are you? Doing pretty well. Um, and so for folks out there, Colin and I know each other um, just, I guess, from the Boston tech ecosystem, have some mutual friends and um, really excited to have Colin here joining the podcast and, uh, you know, give him an opportunity to share what he's building. So um, yeah, Colin, uh, take it away on kind of what, what, what Clerk is and, uh, you know, how it helps developers build great applications. Yeah, definitely. And, and thanks so much for having me. Um, so Clerk is, we're building authentication for the modern web. And I, I think at a high level, what we saw is, what we're seeing is that uh, the architecture that developers use to build applications today has changed significantly from sort of the era of MVC and Ruby on Rails. And now it's more React and Next.js. And uh, instead of Active Record, we're using tools like Hasura and Supabase. And um, really the authentication strategy of the past, we think isn't optimized for this new world. And so we've been working to build a better set of authentication tools for the modern web or Jamstack, or it has a lot of different names, but that ecosystem. Got it. So maybe help me understand, like I'm, I'm building a Next.js app, um, you know, Next and you know, React Next kind of all, one and the same in, in a sense. And then um, I guess I could be using any of a whole range of backends. And how do I use Clerk? What does it do for me? Um, yeah, take me yeah. through like, what is the developer developer kind of uh, experience? Yeah, so the, I guess very simply, uh, in your initial integration, the first thing you'll set up is a sign up, a sign in, and a user profile screen. And with Clerk, there's a few ways to do that, but the easiest way is we give you a React component to just drop onto the page. It's literally called sign up, sign in, and user profile. Um, and that provides a whole UI for you. Um, it's a lot like Stripe Checkout in that sense. You can just kind of outsource the UI to us and we'll provide it. If you don't want to do that, you can also use our hooks. We have like a use sign-in hook and a use sign-up hook, and that'll talk to our API directly and you can design your own uh, UI. Got it. So I drop in the component. It kind of handles all of the, um, there's a lot of complexity around building, like even just a login interface in terms of error handling in different states. And so... It sounds like you yeah. kind of abstract that all away. Yeah. Um, and then once the user logs in, you provide hooks or state or something that tells the app that the user is logged in. Is that roughly accurate? Yeah, exactly. I, and I'd say, honestly, that's that's almost where like the hard part comes in. There is a lot of hard parts to the login itself, right? Like setting up password lists so it's streamlined or setting up OAuth so it's streamlined and so accounts link. There's a lot of headaches that, that we do solve in just the UI component. Um, but I think from a technical perspective or just engineering perspective, like where things are different in the modern web world versus kind of the Rails world uh, is more this back half of the problem. Like, okay, my user is signed in. How do I know who my user is? And a big part of the reason why is, you know, with, Next.js and React, it's not static on the front end anymore. So like Clerk provides a use user hook to figure out who the user is from the front end. Um, but then we also, you know, have to make that work in during SSR if someone's doing SSR. 
which is like half back end, half front end. Uh, and then, you know, if you're calling one of your API routes in Next.js, that's another context that we need to know who the user is. Uh, and then Next.js also has middleware now. <laughs> so that's a fourth context. Um, and then I think maybe even more interesting than that is Next.js doesn't come with a database the same way that Rails did. And so you pull in a Hasura or a Superbase and you need a way to tell those databases who the user is. Um, so Clerk really tries to cover that whole surface area um, with the exception of SSR, which is launching this month. <laughs> yeah. Got it. So each of the kind of places in my stack where it needs to know who the user is, is able to communicate with Clerk and Clerk abstracts away all of the complexity of managing who is the active user and are they logged in or not and how, how what means do they use to log in and that's just all taken care of and I can just build my app and just rely on Clerk for all the auth type stuff. Exactly. We do all of the session management piece. We drop the cookie. Um, we even do like if someone goes into the user profile, they could see all the devices that they're signed in on and revoke them. Like all of that is just provided out of the box. And so, you know, I've used Auth0 in the past, which I guess is kind of like pretty well known as like a developer friendly abstract away some of the complexity of Auth. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how does Clerk compare to Auth0 or maybe some of the other tools out there, like the more legacy tools? And we'll, I, we'll talk about Stitch after because I think they're sounds like they're kind of one of your current competitors. But mm -hmm. I'm curious just to understand the difference between like Auth0 and other um, previous generation yeah. of tools. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the differenti differentiation you'll notice right away is kind of like Clerk is very much trying to operate in all those different contexts, the SSR, the, the client-side rendering, API REST, the Edgement Aware, as well as the um, third-party services. Uh, and then I, I'd also say that we take a, um, a stronger approach in kind of the UIs we provide, right? Like Auth0, they do have some concept of giving you a sign-up form and a sign-in form. You have to redirect away to it. We let you embed it in the app. Um, but then also our user profile component where someone can go and they could change their profile information, um, change their password, set up 2FA, like all that's just included. Um, and Auth0 doesn't really have a concept of a user profile screen at all. Um, they have a way to build it, but it's like you're still building that in-house. Got it. So just more more comes out of the box and maybe a bit would be accurate to say like a bit more opinionated around how to use an authentication provider in the context of a modern uh, Jamstack or kind of modern app. Yeah, I think that's fair. And we've, we've worked really hard to provide the same amount of flexibility on like the different ways that someone can log in, but certainly in terms of the implementation into an XJS app, yeah, I'd say we're, we're more opinionated and, in an effort to try to make it faster. How tightly coupled are you to React and Next? Like, is it just that you, it sounds like, but correct me if I'm wrong, you kind of have built a fairly um, extensible platform and just built a lot on for the Next and React users, but technically anyone could use Clerk with any application stack? Yeah, so um, that sign-in component under the hood, it actually is, it's window.clerk.mountsignin. And so our React library is actually just a wrapper over vanilla.js. Um, so anyone can use that and integrate it into any other framework. 
Um, but so far in-house, we've only built out the uh, SDK for React. So we covered Auth0. Curious, um, I've seen Stitch is kind of another modern take on authentication. Um, it seems like they lean in a lot to kind of magic links and um, passwordless. Curious, how do you kind of see them in the market and compare and contrast there? Yeah, I, I mean, I, again, I think there's a lot of just extra opinionation that we have around what integrating into Next.js and React looks like. Um, I think we're far more focused on that ecosystem than a Stitch. I also think that the, yeah, like we don't really hold opinions about how your users should sign in. Um, we have a guide on our website about passwordless and kind of the trade-offs of doing that. Um, you know, we've also worked really hard to make our passwords secure. So we work with have I been pwned to check that or whether or not passwords have leaked. Uh, and we don't let you your users use leaked passwords. Um, I think everything in authentication, like how actually a user signs into your app, there's trade-offs depending on the strategies you want. Um, so we don't intend to be rigid on like passwordless ever. Got it. I'm curious to hear a bit more about what you think is the future of the password. Um, and, and this is like a, uh, maybe a very broad question, but like passwords are just terrible. Like I, I personally, I mean, I use a password manager and stuff, so I, uh, it doesn't bother me that much, but just seeing other humans try to remember passwords and wrangle password managers and the, the whole, uh, concept of the password feels like something in 10 years from now is not going to exist. That's just my own personal opinion. I'm curious, like, as someone who spends a lot of time in this space, like, do you agree or do you have, or kind of uh, your general thoughts? I think we're more than halfway there. Um, in a, in a mm. B2C context, I, if an app on Clerk has sign in with Google on, more than half the users are going to pick sign in with Google. And if you do that, there's no password. Um, it's, it's also faster than passwords. It's more performant. So all around like sign in with Google is better. And, uh, if you have an application where kind of users are likely to have, or uh, like any OAuth vendor or social vendor, we definitely recommend putting that there. And, and Google is just kind of the, the top one, um, in a B2B context, passwords are at the enterprise level gone as well, right? So we have SAML authentication. Um, so I guess if you work at a company and you sign in with Okta ever, that's SAML authentication. Um, and, and so it's like, we are already chipping away at the password. I think where I have a little more hesitancy is saying that sign in by OTP code sent to a phone number or sent to an email address, is going to beat the password. And a lot of that is actually just deliverability challenges, um, is the process of bringing someone out to their email takes too long right now. Um, and perhaps the infrastructure there will improve such that that, that mechanism of going out of band will work better. Uh, I personally think like we'll end up more with like face ID and touch ID style systems leading the way. Um, but yeah, I, I certainly think it's, it's dying, but I think today, uh, it still has a lot of merit for a lot of use cases, passwords. Yeah. 
so curious to learn um, kind of more about the business side of Clerk. You know, first off, what what led you to to start this company, and um, you know, why why take on the the challenge of authentication? Yeah, uh, so I, I guess the history of it is just my brother and I are big. We're both engineers. We both always have like a side project going, and we just always hated the authentication part of it. And it wasn't so much because it was hard. Like I think there's a good set of open source tools to like get something working, um, but it never looked good, right? Like you, you'd sign into your own app versus like sign into Google and you'd just be like, wow, like Google's UX is just so much more delightful. Um, and I want that, like I want the better experience. And uh, even things like adding OAuth, like adding OAuth is really hard in a lot of open source libraries because you have to do the whole account linking thing. Um, this actually is one of the most surprising stats I'd say we've seen at Clerk is like 15% of users, if they originally sign up with email or if they originally sign up with Google, at some point, they're going to try the opposite one. And from a programmer perspective, it's just like, this is an edge case, right? Like, it doesn't matter that much. It's an edge case. Not that many people should hit it. But then it's 15%. Like, that's crazy. Uh, and it's a real pain to do. And it, like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it's, it was just always a thornier problem than we really wanted to spend time on. Like, we wanted to work on our, our differentiation. And it never made sense to us that this was still so hard. Um, it made more sense after starting. <laughs> it's really hard to do, as it turns out. Um, like as a, as a third party service, it's hard to keep the security models all there. Um, and it's even hard to just stay up to date on all the authentication schemes. But um, yeah, as a developer, I think you just want it to work and you want to focus on your app. I'm curious, does Clerk, does Clerk solve the problem of merging to authentications? Like, um, yeah, that's always something like I've built a few SaaS products before. That's always just a pain to, to deal with, like building yep. the logic that, you know, you, a user has been signing in with, with Gmail and then they sign with email. They have to verify, you need them to verify because it could technically be two different people if, yeah. The, the owner, so it's always just a. Uh, it's all yeah. out of the box. Yeah. Um. I, I'd actually say that's that's another small differentiation from uh, Stitch. I believe. I think Stitch is very isolated around here. Like it's a service around the single authentication factor, and then you kind of have to do that grouping. Um on your back end, like the linking on your back end. Um, hopefully I didn't misspeak there. I should double check. Yeah. Well, uh, it's always hard to, I know some competitors are always like building things and you're not exactly sure if, if they have a certain feature or not, but, uh, yeah, we, we won't hold that against you. <laughs> I'm curious. I, I imagine that the, in building a startup in the, um, authentication space, the burden to, have a very strong security posture, maybe it feels like it's, it's probably a bigger, uh, you know, a bigger hurdle for an early stage startup than most. Like usually most early stage startups, they don't put as much focus on security as they should. But like when you're building an auth company, I'm guessing your customers require a, a certain 
level of security and compliance. So like, how have you thought about building your security program and team and practices? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, and I, I really have to shout out to both, uh, South Park Commons and S28 are, are two investors in their kind of extraordinary patience as we, uh, got this up to par. Uh, to a place we were comfortable with before we launched, um, because it, it really was a big focus internally that delayed the launch a lot. Like I think we had our proof of concept and the developer experience down, and then we're like, okay, we show this to a lot of developers, it works. Now we got to get security and reliability, really both parts of that, um, uh, just totally locked down. Um, you know, it's it's a conversation in absolutely every feature we build. Does this break the security model or not? It's it's often where we need to innovate a lot. Um, like as a third party service, we can't you know skirt the, re- the requirement that says it needs to be an HTTP only cookie that can't be JavaScript accessible. So we need to design around like how can we put that cookie on a different domain than it's been on in the past. And um, so I, I think. The first thing we did is just our, we all have in our founding team, at least a pretty significant background in just like web security and whether that's taking, it's mostly coursework. Uh, It took a lot of classes in web security and and that's where that knowledge is coming from. Um, But separate from that, we also work with third party um, security auditors to just do, they download our whole code base, they look at it line by line, um, and they call out any issues they find. And at the end of it, give us a, a letter of attestation. Um, and we do those regularly. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a lot of a lot of work, just a lot of reading and knowing all the different threat vectors and, and just staying on top of it. I'm curious now to understand um kind of growth and how you're thinking about customer acquisition. I mean, as a company that, um, you know, one of our core uh, personas is developers, always interesting to hear how other companies are reaching developers and building um, a developer audience and ultimately selling to developers. So um, yeah, what's kind of your approach there? And what are you thinking about in terms of the next year or so of your go-to-market efforts? Yeah, I, I think you've heard it a little bit during this podcast. Like a lot of it, we've just, uh, when we first launched Clerk, it was just outsourced off, um, outsourced off, outsourced user management. And I think what we found is that it's all Jamstack developers kind of naturally attracted to us. And I think it's it's a lot of that persona shift that, that I was just um, talking about, where that crowd is more eager to outsource than uh, kind of the previous generation. Um, and so we're really just just like working to embrace that community as much as possible. Um, we're working to build integrations with Hasura, with Superbase, and um, just drive that ecosystem forward to whatever extent we can and, and talk about it to whatever extent we can. Uh, even just staying on top of the Next.js launches and making sure that we're, we can auth in all of their different contexts. Um, there's a lot of work to do there and a lot we can talk about there. Is is Clerk open source? 
it is not completely open source. And actually, we're less open source now than we want to be. So we're in the process of open sourcing all of our front end libraries. Um, okay. the, yeah, the back end uh, will remain closed source. Guys, so the front end libraries, that's like the React components or um, the... It sounds like there's a vanilla J. We talked about this earlier. Vanilla JS library as well. So, so that will be open source. Um, do you have like a backend, like an npm client or things like that as well? I'm not sure what you mean by npm client. I guess rather a uh, node client, rather like um, yeah, server, yeah. some kind of server side. Only yeah. So library, all, all of, of the yeah. backend SDKs and frontend SDKs will be open source. Some are like interspersed already, um, but we're building out a mono repo and and it's all gonna go open source at once. Um, it's just really the the code powering our APIs that's gonna remain closed source. Have you considered um have you considered at all open sourcing part or some core of the the backend um the, the infrastructure that serves the, the yes. APIs? Um, the session management piece, I, I, I honestly think that there's, like, we will likely do it eventually. It's, it's just getting around to the work to fully um, uh, I can't come up with a word, to fully separate out session management mm -hmm. from user management. Uh, decouple <laughs> is what I was looking for. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, the way we do session management is, I think, interesting and, and warrants merit beyond kind of our system. And, and that's that um, we have a long-lived cookie, but the long-lived cookie is used to generate short-lived cookies that are ultimately used for authentication. And so we have this polar running on the front end that updates uh, JWT every minute. And, it, and that JWT expires every minute. Um, but the benefit of that is that when a request finally gets to your backend, all you have to do is verify the JWT. Um, it needs to be short-lived so that it can be revocable, so that if someone does want to revoke a device, it, that token expires in a minute. Um, but any authentication within the system itself is under a millisecond. Uh, we really like that design and it, it really, it's very close to being completely decoupled in our backend. Um, and I think we're also just really excited for the implications as we get into authorization more and like, what can we decorate? How can we decorate that JWT to put authorization information in it as well to really just cut out the first, you know, normally the first. 20, 30 milliseconds of a request are going to just database queries to make sure the user, to figure out who the user is and whether they can do something. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. We like that design a lot. And I, I think we're kind of, we're engineers ourselves. We like the idea of open sourcing it. So, Guys, so just so I understand, that's like storing more information about who is the user and what can they do and their permissions and authorizations all within the uh, you know encrypted JWT. So that mm -hmm. when you unpack that somewhere, you instantly know everything you need to know. And if you yeah. can, uh, if you have a system in place, which you already do, to invalidate JWTs when the user signs out or changes their password or deauthorizes the device, and you're mm -hmm. checking that often enough, 
it can work yep. and you don't necessarily need to store the information in the database. Yep. Um, I'm curious, like it, one of the, you know, if we, if, if I was thinking about adopting a product like this, especially early on in the life cycle of, of a product where I'm kind of just choosing the foundational technologies, I would think about lock-in as just like a potential long-term concern if I'm building all of my auth on, on a provider. So how do you, um, how do you kind of explain to customer potential customers or developers like how they should be thinking about potential lock-in on your platform and if they want it to move off in five years when their company reaches a certain scale, yep. you know, how, how would they do that? Yeah, uh, just send us an email and, and we'll work with you to export all the data. Um, our mm-hmm. passwords are kind of the only somewhat tricky part of this um, in that all the p- passwords are decrypted in our database. Um, and we our API endpoints don't, by default, return the decrypted password. Um, so for that reason, it's an email cause. We'll export everything, including the decrypted passwords, and um, you can move off of it. Uh, yeah, that's all the, you have all the data you need to, to do whatever you want. Curious to hear a bit about kind of future. So what does the roadmap look like for, I guess we're in the beginning of 2022, so it's a good time to talk about that. Um, yeah, what what does your roadmap look like and what are you most excited about? Yeah, I, the biggest feature is B2B. Um, so, you know, I, I like to say uh, right now we do user management and we're getting into customer management. And for some companies, the customers are organizations rather than just users. Um, and so kind of just like similar to how we provide the UIs for sign up, sign in, user profile, we're going to provide UIs for create an organization, onboard a team to that organization, set everyone's roles and permissions. Um, and we're going to start entering like the authorization side of the space. So there's this distinction of authentication being signing in, and then authorization being what actions is that user allowed to take after they signed in. Um, and a lot of that is associated with like their role within the organization. And so we're starting to enter that space. Interesting. So, yeah, I mean, role-based access control is kind of one of those checklist items that almost every SaaS product that sells B2B has to build before being ready to sell into enterprise. And it's, you know, I guess thinking about it is one of those things that it's, you know, somewhat different for every company, but a lot of, it sounds like, and I guess this is why you're building it, a lot of the core logic of building an RBAC system is kind of generic, like you have to integrate with the the enterprise auth providers, you have to kind of build the framework for roles and adding permissions to roles and giving people roles. And um, I guess it, yeah, sounds like you're you're taking all the complexity out of that. Yeah. And I I think there's actually something interesting from a, I guess, like shifting developer persona perspective where, you know, I, I think years ago, these authorization checks are something that you would always do in-house. You'd always want to do in-house. You'd never think about outsourcing it. And like something has changed. And, and to me, it's really coming with this Jamstack and modern web era of developers are more comfortable than ever kind of outsourcing 
microservices. As, as long as you can draw a clean product line around it, um, and then they're comfortable doing it. And it, it was really peculiar to me for you know about a year at Clerk where people were asking for B2B feature set. Um, but my response is always like, you know, like with Devise, it, it didn't come with like Devise is the Rails authentication, um, popular Rails authentication open source library. Like it never came with authorization, this other element. And so people could build it on top of Clerk the same way they would build authorization on top of Devise. But for some reason, we've been getting all these requests. And I, I mean, I think it's just interesting to call out. It, it, to me, it's just a shift in the developer persona. They'd, they'd rather outsource it. Um, and so, yeah, we've, we're jumping into it head first in 2022. And um, we'll probably get the, the first version out uh, early Q2. Do you have any plans long-term to consider like billing or um, kind of that next level of account yeah. management within Clerk? Yeah, totally. Uh, and it's it's part of that authorization game too, right? So the two big things that inform kind of can a user take an action, it's first, what role do they have within the organization? And then second, what plan are they on within the product? Do they even have access to this feature altogether? And so we, we want to loop both in. Yeah, I mean, it makes so much sense. Like if you can abstract away all of the boilerplate of building a SaaS dashboard with billing and users and auth and roles and just let, you know, if I'm starting a new SaaS company, I can just focus on building what is actually unique to my business that I'm serving to my users. And in the same way, Stripe, um, you know, did this for payments. It's kind of like you're building that whole next layer of abstraction. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I talk about Stripe and and SendGrid as kind of this last generation of API companies where they were so vertical specific. It's an email API and it's a payments API. But when you really get down to it, like you're emailing a user and you're charging a user. Uh, and and Clark gets to think about the API that way. Colin, thanks so much for joining us. Um, it's been really interesting learning about Clark. We will put a link in the episode uh, description for clerk.dev, which is the website. Um, if folks out there are interested in what you're building, learning more, potentially uh, joining the team, it sounds like you're, you're hiring. How would you recommend folks um, get in touch with, with your team? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks Thanks again so much for having me. And uh, we are hiring. If you go to clerk.dev, kind of in the footer of the website, there's a, a careers link, um, JavaScript engineers, uh, writers, technical writers, um, and then really just full stack engineers all over the place. Um, we would love to talk to you. And uh, yeah, thanks again. Thanks, Colin. Thanks for listening to Pod Rocket. Find us at Pod Rocket Pod on Twitter. Or you could always email me, even though that's not a popular option. It's brian at LogRocket.